Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to DNF. I'm Jessica Smetana. He's Spencer Hall. We have a Canadian Grand Prix race review. Spencer, we're back with our normally scheduled programming, and we have a lot of things to talk about, but I think we need to start with uh, Max Verstappen drove with a dead bird in his car. You know you're hot when your car eats a bird mid-race because <laughs> it's hungry. And you drive no, with it. And, and not a groundhog, which like that's what my money was on. If anyone was going to have a dead animal sucked yeah. into their car during a race, I thought it would be a groundhog. But this year it was a bird. It was a bird. And uh, I am like a bird in that my year is being ruined by Max Verstappen. That is <laughs> that's what the song's about. Yeah, mm-hmm. I am. I, I was looking for a way to encapsulate the level of dominance that Max Verstappen has encapsulate has uh, shown this year as the best driver in F1 and one of the best drivers of all time at this point, because the numbers are uh, lying less and less about that. And that's it. Dude got a bird stuck in his car and it didn't matter. Something you cannot engineer for, something you cannot prepare for, and it did not matter at all. He ran away with the race. Lap one wasn't even that interesting. Just nope. Just consistent excellence time and time and time again to the point where our dour little boy is starting to make jokes on the radio late into the race on laps where he is 20, 30 seconds ahead of the competition because he can. Even Max Verstappen, the most uptight man in the world prior to becoming the very definition of racing dominance, is starting to joke at his own excellence. I... Still think there were things to like take away from this race, but that is the, that is the, that is the chief one that that this is the race where the bird happened. Yeah, we'll talk about the rest of the contenders in this race because there were a couple interesting things that happened yeah. behind Max Verstappen, but he is winning these races by so much time. His pace is so much faster than even the next car behind him, not to mention like the other 18 behind that car that mm-hmm. it's becoming a little repetitive. I would like to see him perform tasks while he's driving. Uh, yeah. I think they need to up the ante. Like maybe he should have to do like a Sudoku or like 
a New York Times Sunday crossword puzzle sure. in English. Um, I, there's got to be something that they can do. I think the FIA has said that they're not going to do any rule changes that would specifically target Red Bull, which is a bummer because that has kind of happened in the past before. With different but, teams, yeah. Yeah, with different teams. But I think maybe just as a self-challenge, he should start doing something to keep us all engaged because honestly, I... I like we're not even we're not Red Bull's not even being discussed on the broadcast half the time now because he's just so far ahead. Yeah, if we are discussing Red Bull, we're saying things like, "What's going on with Checo? What's in Checo's yeah. head? What's yeah. he doing?" In fact, Max Verstappen's dominance has had the odd effect of sometimes making him less visible during races, yeah. despite being that good because he <laughs> the is best, the foregone yeah. conclusion. I know it is a gag that that whenever F one happens in any race, there is massive excitement as Crofty goes and for in eighth he's getting a pass for eighth well there's a reason for that okay yeah. because we can't get that excited about anything else happening at the moment there are a couple of really good questions related to this and we will address those but in short before you get too deep into dnf let's just say we see you yes if you're a red bull fan listening to this y'all are awesome it's awesome like congratulations you, congratulations like and i mean that sincerely jessica doesn't but uh but i mean it sincerely <laughs> no i'm happy I, i'm happy for red bull fans i'm not happy for red bull fans end of sentence I, um i'm happy for the people at red bull how's that because i think sure. they have the right well, we're, attitude we're adrian we're adrian newey fans now we read his his autobiography and now we're like a little sympathetic to you know the things going on over there whereas before i was just like i don't I don't really see the appeal. I get it now. They are the plucky upstarts that are now the dominant championship winners um, that have had stretches of dominance and are now in the middle of another one. And I think that's great for them. Yes. Great for them. We see you. That's awesome. Um, you get no points awarded for rooting for the big guy. No. Just never. know that. No. Never. But I think I, I think that's one of the ironies of like, the new newest F1 fans that came in while Lewis Hamilton was in the middle of his dominant stretch is that mm -hmm. I see a lot of people that don't like Red Bull and Verstappen because they're Lewis Hamilton fans. And it's like yeah. a little bit like, you know, rooting for Peyton Manning or Tom Brady. It's like, yeah, you're you're just rooting for the guys that win a lot. And that's yeah, a like, terrible comparison because ooh, obviously Bank of America. Yay, Chase. Tom Brady's Tom Brady. But yeah, I mean, it's. It's tough, but I do. I did think one thing was interesting from this weekend regarding Max Verstappen, Spencer. I don't know if you saw his his quotes. He's kind of had increasingly interesting uh, things to say about his own career longevity in the last mm -hmm. few weeks. And I think yeah. he himself, if like I'm reading between the lines, I think he himself is bored a little bit with the lack of of challengers this season. Mm -hmm. And so he was asked about like how long he was going to race, and he said, you know, essentially. I'm now that I've won two titles, if I wouldn't have won them, you keep on trying, you keep trying to achieve something like that. Now that I've done it, it's nice. And it's nice to win another one and another one. But basically, it's the same thing. It's not something that will keep me here forever. So I think people found those comments very interesting. He also made uh, comments about how long the race calendar is, which I think is something that a lot of Formula One drivers have been kind of groaning about the last two years. This is the longest season they've ever had. Mm -hmm. And if you have made He's on a right now in the middle of a five-year contract where he's making fifty-five million dollars every year. He's just making. I want you to consider. He's just making fifty-five mil for driving. For driving that's, twenty, that's yeah, twenty everything, races. Everything else, everything else on the on the docket, sponsorships, yeah. endorsements, etc., doesn't account for that. When you go and look 
parents take note want to be parents take note if you're looking you say i want my son to be a jock okay well one <clears throat> son or daughter may not end up being a jock because they may not have the genes and you know whose fault that is that's you Yours. you're gonna yep. have to you're gonna have to deal with that second of all if you have the means okay to actually support your child all right don't put them in football put them in <laughs> if you can f1 okay because even if they get to f2 you're still going to make decent money yeah right yeah. Um, you're going to have to sacrifice a lot. Okay. Go look at Lewis Hamilton's story for what you have to sacrifice. If you are unfamiliar with the level of dedication it requires, even for somebody of means and of wealth, like consider Lance Stroll, who has more advantages in life than Lance Stroll? Nobody. What did Lance Stroll need in order to get a seat? His dad had to buy the team. <laughs> his, dad, his dad, like the richest people in the world, sometimes have to buy the team. But if you can get there, and you can become either a good F1 driver, a major league pitcher, ooh, guaranteed contract, y'all. Guaranteed contract. Mm -hmm. Or you can become a tennis star. Tennis. And keep in mind, at the top levels of tennis, there are still astonishing numbers in terms of income. And guess what? You may not people may not even recognize you. That may be the case in F1 because you know, we know what they look like because we watch it every week. There are people who, you know, have no idea what Max Verstappen looks like because every time they see him on TV, he's got a helmet on. True. Well, he did say another comment, which was interesting, which was that, uh, like, he said, maybe if you look back at it, and if you stayed in F1 until you're 40 or whatever, it might be that you were like, maybe I stayed too long. I didn't spend enough time with my close ones. So it's still something that's a big question mark for me and how long I will stay in the sport. For someone who's like 24 to be having these sort of like existential questions about like how much time he has left to spend with his family while mm -hmm. on the top of the sport. Spencer, I think it goes to your point exactly. You should just, every, everyone should just refocus all of their goals and become an F1 driver because you can make generational wealth if you're really good at it. Like, I, I'm saying this as if that's something easy to do, but uh, mm -hmm. we know it's not. But like, he's he can essentially retire and be set for the rest of his life now. And he seems to, like, to not care about the title chase and seven world championships, et cetera, et cetera. Like, it just it blows my mind that these are the comments he's making because of the, how kind of dull this season has been for him. Jessica, I'm violating an old societal rule by doing this, but how old are you right now? Uh, I just turned 29. Okay. And I've you been thinking about I've been thinking about retirement since 23. Probably. Do you believe at the age yeah. of 29 mm -hmm. that Max Verstappen at the age of 24 understands exactly what he is doing? And I mean this like from a perspective historically and personally. Do you think he is even capable of understanding where he is at, what he is doing, how immense his level of performance is right now, and how rare this is, not just in his sport, but across sport in general? Do you think he understands um, a I think, sliver of that? So, so he's 25. I was off by one okay, year. He's 25. 25. Same difference, more or less. I think when I was 25, I thought I knew what I was saying and what the context of things around me meant. Um, and did, I probably, oh, I, I certainly did not. I mean, that goes mm -hmm. without saying. I certainly don't now either. Uh, but, you know, I act like I do because I have a podcast. But no, I don't think he knows what the hell he's saying. And that's just a, that's not like a, any sort of like knock on Max Verstappen. That's a, like, that's a very mid 20s, like, yeah, I, I get it. I, 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 my frontal uh, lobe has been fully developed. Now I know what's going on. And like, no one ever really does. But then the, the, the thing is like, when you're 40, do you know that Spencer? Yeah, I would honestly say you really. Would. Okay. Yeah, no, well, like I know surprises me uh, of people who are on the circuit right now. 
I think Fernando Alonso has a full understanding of what is happening. Okay. I do. Because I think he has perspective and I think he is just, if you listen to him. But don't you think that like when he's 60, he's going to be like, wow, I thought I, I mean, he's not probably not going to be driving anymore. I put the probably asterisks in there. But don't you think he's going to be like, wow, I I really (laughs) thought I had it all figured out when I was 40. But like, I was such a young man. I just, I just feel like as you get older, you always look back and you're like, I didn't get this at that point. And I get it now. And then you say it again, like five years later. I think you always get, uh, I think you always get with every passing year, you get another ring on the tree and a little more perspective. So Mm -hmm. I think what you're saying is totally true. I think that when he is 60, he will look back at this 41 year old season that he is having. And Fernando Alonso will say, Oh man, I did it. Like I enjoyed it, but I didn't enjoy it enough, you know, like, or Mm -hmm. I had, I I didn't get this right. Or I didn't, he will think about that because he is a driver and that's what they do. Um, I will say this for sure. Max Verstappen, I think has a great amount of perspective for his age, but if he continues to win like this and he turns 30, he may even then still not understand it. And I say this because one of the most emotionally intelligent drivers and athletes I have ever seen is Lewis Hamilton. And even he in the middle of it had moments where you go, I don't think he understands how good this is. I really yeah. don't, you yeah. know? And I, and I think that's just, I think that's just something that you do when you're one of these like high performing overachieving athletes is that you say, you say, okay, cool. Yeah. We just won three in a row. I have to prepare for the fourth. That is the next thing. If you're preparing mm-hmm. for the fourth, you can't really look back and go, Hey, those three, I'm really going to soak in what that means or where this fits in things. No, no, no. That's not their job, to be fair. It's not. Their job is to drive the car. That's it. I think it also, in that context, speaks to how monumentous monumental it is when you see uh, an athlete retire at their peak, right? Yeah. Because how do you have time to think about what you're going to do next when you're essentially being like, you're essentially programmed just to think about what's in front of you in yeah. taking one step in front of the other. Um, but I don't know. Interesting perspective from Max Verstappen. Not sure if there's anything that needs to be made out of it other than like, he seems like he's a little bored and that's probably my biggest takeaway. <laughs> I just wonder if it like when he's 30, he'll look back and be like, God, you were spoiled. Yeah. You idiot. Yeah. Probably. Like, why were you, why were you so fascinated with your racing team? Right. Like why were, <laughs> Right. Why were you so, why did you watch that much, uh, you know, why did you watch that much anime in your spare time? You should have been working harder, which what did I What did you watch a lot of when you were 25, Spencer? Uh, adult Swim. I watched a lot hmm. of Adult Swim. So I was watching a tremendous amount of like Aqua Teen Hunger Force, yeah. et cetera. I watched you know? Succession. Yeah, that's, you know what? You won't regret that, I don't think, you know, <laughs> just like I, I don't think Max Verstappen has anything to regret um anything else from from the the canadian gp we've got some really good listeners. we do okay well we should we should briefly mention just what happened in terms of the race for second place because i thought that it was interesting um seems like mercedes upgrade has improved their pace and it seems like now the subsequent aston martin upgrade has also improved their pace uh alonzo and and, uh, hamilton were yeah, I w- like they, w- they didn't really have much of a battle. Alonso came out on top, but like it was it was interesting for a while. We'll put it that way. A lot of the things I think plot wise that were supposed to happen happened, which is yeah. Mercedes improved. I think they had good consistent performance without. We got uh, Alonso on the podium. I think that was another expected piece of uh, of drama, right? Like our script went pretty well. We had another Alonso podium appearance. I think that 
It, the only real surprise for me there, one, I was kind of surprised that George had a sloppy week. Very because sloppy. Because they've been so consistent. Yeah. Well, I feel like the narrative on George, just from like a lot of the Formula One podcasts I listen to, has has changed like very quickly between this year and last year. Like last year, he was the picture of consistency. He was mm-hmm. week in and week out the best lad. Like no doubts about it. He was yeah. jumping out of his car to help out a driver. Like he was he was Mr. Mr. George Russell. And everyone was making memes about what kind of guy he was. And this year, it's like, why doesn't he have the pace? Like, what, you know, we know Lewis Hamilton is one of the greatest of all time. And he, even at his older, you know, point in his career, is still putting up podiums with this car that is not the best car he's ever had at Mercedes. But, like, why is George so far off? And how does he keep making sloppy mistakes like he did on Sunday? Yeah, it's, that was, that was not shocking, but disappointing when you go, you know, everybody gets DNFs from now on. Uh, by the way, we need a bell when we actually say the name of the podcast. <laughs> uh, but everybody gets those from now on. Now and again, just there's technical failures, there's accidents, things happen, especially at a track where, honestly, if it had rained during Sunday, we would have had, I think, a more chaotic and interesting race because that circuit is prone to not only bad weather, but uh, the sort of like random crashes that make races mm-hmm. interesting. We didn't really get a whole lot of that during an otherwise sunny day in Montreal. By the way, shouts out to that track. Unreal. Absolutely I love unreal that track. Circuit. It's gorgeous. Love it. It is gorgeous. It, Spencer, this is an amazing thing that uh, my boyfriend pointed out to me while we were watching the race. Mm-hmm. Miami. There's a there's an F1 race in Miami, and the one in Montreal is has like. 99% more water surrounding it. And I just think that yep. that's a hilarious and beautiful thing. It is a gorgeous yes. track. Gorgeous it's because location. It's because people in Canada believe in a community and a we, and they attempt to plan things. Whereas everyone in Miami is like mine. I put this by the water. You can't race on, you can't race on my beautiful proposed downtown circuit. No, <laughs> you can't. Why? No, there's because condos the, there. <laughs> yeah. Because there's condos and the noise. What will it do for my real estate values? Yeah. yeah. That's why Canada is way cooler than say Miami. Uh, built on an artificial island. No comment. Yeah. Inevitably, there's some kind of wildlife wandering onto the track. You know, this time it wasn't a groundhog. If you had groundhog in your prop bets for this, sorry to you. This man lost because it ended up being a bird getting sucked into Max Verstappen's car. Uh, I only have two other notes on this race, uh, which is um, one, what on earth is McLaren doing? Like McLaren we had sort of a little nice bubble of oh you know turning it around things getting more consistent and you get an unsportsmanlike penalty on lando norris that nobody really seemed to understand okay Um, to to back up ted kravitz who was like having a freak out about this on the broadcast like in formula one couldn't any penalty be unsportsmanlike like philosophically i think that was kind of the point he was trying to make no yeah like what (laughs) What constitutes I don't, yeah, I don't know. What constitutes unsportsmanlike? That's the strangest thing to me. But if th- it were is... like a football game, it would be he got out of his car and pretended to urinate on something. But that's yeah. not what happened. Yeah, which would be wild to do in an F one race if anyone <laughs> did that. But probably like not written out of the uh, racing rules and regulations. But yeah, yeah. But the reason that the stewards gave was that during the safety car period, he slowed to allow a gap to form between his teammate and Piastri's car and his own car and delayed the cars behind him. And this uh, is unsportsmanlike. So 
I was going to say they have not. And, and he said he was just warming up his tires. I don't know. I it's it's one of those Weird. things where I, I get the spirit of the infraction, but not the execution. <laughs> that's that's what I don't get at tall. Um, one other final thing to clear up from this. We have a best lad to hand out. Obviously, Ooh. it can't be George Russell uh, and it can't be Fernando Alonso because I did initially lean towards Fernando Alonso because, you know, we don't celebrate him enough. And also I found a really great song for uh, Fernando Alonso, but justifiably, I cannot. There is only one person I can really consider for best lad. We will have the dulcet tones of the Thai national anthem playing behind this uh, because he does have dual citizenship and races under the Thai flag. That is Alex Albon. Alex Albon will get the best lad from DNF this week for doing what he does best, which is saying, fuck tires. <laughs> fuck tires. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to do as well as I possibly can in this factory issued F1 truck that I have been given to drive. <laughs> For Williams, Alex Albon, somehow the haters doubting and the laws of physics working against that car at every turn. Alex Albon manages to get points for Williams. That's right, points for Williams, finishing seventh in the number 23 Williams machine, as they would say in a NASCAR race. Alex Albon, uh, fantastic work. Salute to you, sir. So he was the only driver during. Q3 to or Q2 to have the correct tires on during the the limited amount of time that the slick tires would have worked uh, on the track. And my question is like a like how like how did like I mean I know like Leclerc saw him do it and was like I want to do that and Ferrari was like no you can't do that and now he's pissed at his team because of it. Um, other drivers you know attempted to but like he was in the perfect window where it worked out for him in qualifying. Uh, my question though is like. I assume the teams are, they have someone on them that is like experienced at reading uh, weather radar, but Mm -hmm. like, why not hire just a chief meteorologist to just sit on the pit lane and tell you exactly when the track temperatures are going to be right for, for slick tires in a race like this? Well, the answer to that is tires and the interaction between tires and pavement, from what I understand from an engineering perspective, is something uh, less than science and more than an art. It's somewhere mm-hmm. in between because we can we can sit here and second guess tire choices all day long. To me, it is the equivalent of what NBA fans do when they build trade machines. Like, oh, it's just that simple. Here, just do that. It works, you know. And that we we in races, if you talk to race car race driving race fans, and you talk to people who like. Uh, all forms of racing, there's always, and especially in F1, there's an obsession with, well, they should have run with this tire and that would have fixed it. To me, that's always like, ah, they should have made this play call and then that would have worked. Mm-hmm. A lot of the time, if you're should actually run on the, the track, should have run the ball, right? <laughs> should have should, called, should have been doing more, call a screen, right? QB sneak. QB yeah. sneak, yeah, it works every time, you know, which is why it right. works 80% for the best guys, meaning it fails right. one out of every Well, five okay, if that's the case, then I understand uh, it's not something that you can necessarily predict off of like a, a chart or a graph or a radar, then like listen to the drivers. Like the fact that that's like Charles option. Leclerc, one of the, you know, when Ferrari signed him, he was like the child prodigy coming to save this historic F1 team from their darkest hour. And like, they won't listen to him 
during qualifying when he's like, hey, right now is when we should go on the slicks. And they're like, nope, that's not what that's not what the other teams are doing. And it's like, well, does what do you have to lose at this point, Ferrari? What are you racing for? I mean, like, try something. <laughs> like ultimately, I understand. We have all of these excellent. We have all of these excellent uh, tools to get people in the right position statistically and in terms of what we know by the numbers. And those are cool. If the driver comes back and says it's actually this, that's another piece of data. Mm-hmm. I know the Ferrari is like super technical, and they have still have that Mattia Bonotto. Uh, disposition as a team of we will trust the engineers and we will make this call and we will you know attempt to be very contemplative and not be very definitive about what we do at all times i think sometimes you just need to make that call if you watch like again this is where red bull and mercedes are good they'll just do the call and on the whole they'll listen to the driver sometimes not by choice mm-hmm. sometimes the, <laughs> red in red bull's case especially sometimes max verstappen will just decide this is what we're doing and that works for them so like I think Ferrari, to me, this is ultimately a sport of engineering perfected by personality. Mm-hmm. And um, if the engineering is great, then you need the right personalities to just kind of go ahead, solder it all together and make it work. And I think with Leclerc and Sainz, I, I just think you have two guys um, and you've had crew chiefs and you've had management who everyone's a little hesitant, you know, like maybe you need to be more of a dick maybe and, and it doesn't by the it way, doesn't seem like it seems like they're a to make a football analogy like a coached a team coached by a defensive coordinator who is like being very cautious with you know should we go for it on fourth down no yeah. like let's let's play for field position and it's like you guys are losing the game by like a thousand points at this point like yeah. instead of playing for field position maybe play to try to win something yeah and or this you know ultimately you have to trust it out on the field and in the F1, yeah, right. you, know, you have to say, right. okay, um, we've done all, everything that we can. I just have to let you guys go. And, you know, the, like, that's something that I think F1, that F1 doesn't necessarily need more of generally. Ferrari needs more of it specifically. I think there mm-hmm. are teams out there who do a really good job trusting their drivers. Yeah. I do. Um, it, it's not an easy call. And I'd like to go ahead and just like, like as a last note, when you're like, well, you make it sound so easy, right? Like we have no, millions we, we and hear, we hear Lewis and Bono like argue over the radio constantly, yeah. right? Like they're not always right. just taking his word for it. But as someone who's raced a lot, I think they definitely, yeah. may, maybe not as much as he would like, but it seems like they actually consider what he has to say because he, he does know how <laughs> to drive the yeah. car. He is the one doing the driving of the car. Yeah. You got to trust the old assometer. Like that's yeah, exactly. ultimately, yeah, ultimately Ooh, like the assometer. Okay. That reminds me of a question that we got from a listener, which is who would be better Randy Johnson driving an F1 car or Max Verstappen pitching. And this is of course, because Verstappen killed a bird this weekend. Mm-hmm. So shout out to the big unit. Um, I have an answer for this, but I'm curious what, what yours is first. My answer is 100% Verstappen pitching because you're not getting Randy in that car. That's exactly what I was going to say. We talked last week about how Nigel Mansell had a specially built uh, seat for his F1 car because he had wider mm-hmm. hips. I yeah. don't see a MLB pitching pitcher-sized human being fitting inside an F1 car. Maybe if they built just... a car to his specifications, even in that case, it's probably going to be pretty heavy and not go very fast. Like I think the tallest guy on the grid out there right now is just scraping 6'2". Right George, now? I think George is like 6'1". Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I believe it is George at the moment. You know, we're not talking guys who are six eight. 
Right. Right. Like it, that gets to the point where I don't know where your feet go in the monocoque. I don't know where to put your legs. I <laughs> yeah, don't have. An- I wonder how. Actually, okay. I think there are a couple drivers with larger feet, like size eleven feet. I don't. I don't know Randy Johnson's foot size. I imagine it's got to be bigger than that, though. His foot size is yo. Like that's. You <laughs> know, like, what? Yeah. Damn. That's his foot size. Also, Spencer, um, if there's one thing that I know, it is Formula One driver heights. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm an expert at this. This is Um, my one area of expertise. The other question that we got, I wanted to just start off the top with because it's a great fantasy question. It's a great uh, racing. It's a great racing manager. Like if you could play like international racing manager as Mm -hmm. a game, you would want to do this. It's from, uh, from Bryce, which non F1 tracks should be F1 tracks before I go off on my considered diatribe fueled by at least eight minutes of research. Mm-hmm. Jessica, what non-F1 tracks would you put? I propose any... So I know I know NASCAR's racing in Chicago this summer. Is that correct? On the, yes. on the street somewhere? Yes. I propose any sort of like cool American city, but like not for like a 10-year contract. Like give me, give me a one-off F1 cars down Lakeshore Drive. Yeah. Okay. I could see that 100%. Just a one-off. Yeah. I like that. If I were to do an, if I were to do an American city and I would want... Uh, some sort of real expansive racetrack experience. I know people lean toward natural beauty. Come on, man. We built we built like multiple cities entirely around highways. Come on, open those up. Let, let's get an LA one where you do a cloverleaf. Let's go ahead and get, <laughs> you know, let, like let's go ahead and get a Houston where you take like yes. the third, oh, the yes. second or third perimeter and work it into the course. We got, we have tons of ugly highway. Let's make it beautiful by running F1 machines on it that's what i, I love that say. okay like last or maybe like two years ago i was in uh new york and i heard a formula one car overhead in the south street seaport and i was thinking what is that noise and sure enough red bull was uh driving a red one of their you know stunt drivers was driving a car up the f, f- uh the fdr highway while they had a helicopter overhead filming it from above. And I thought it was so cool. A absolute hellscape of a street, but I would mm-hmm. watch Formula One cars drive up and down it for sure. So <laughs> I have several. I have I have two answers for you, um, actually three. But one of them really doesn't count because it's a traditionalist answer. It is F1. Go back to Nürburgring. F1. Go back to Nürburgring. Go back. It's long. It's got too many turns. I don't care. Go back. Nürburgring. It's, it's awesome. It absolutely rules. It is a classic track, maybe the classic track of all classic tracks. Uh, run it, make it work, figure it out. Nurburgring absolutely kicks ass. Everything runs there for a reason because it is 13.9 miles. I believe it has like 150 corners, some sort of dramatic number of corners. Um, it's tight. It's challenging. Yeah. Do you know what its nickname is? What Jackie hmm. Stewart dubbed it? What? The green hell. Don't you want to run in the green hell? Absolutely <laughs> run green hell. Sounds like a Saturday at Notre Dame Stadium. That is <laughs> in correct. In the parking lot. <laughs> I was going to say, or in the stadium with the ushers. That would be my <laughs> definition of green hell. The ushers if don't wear green. Them, if it, yeah, if any of them are listening to this, We're you can all little yellow hats. Okay. I hate y'all. I, hate y'all. I disassociate from Spencer for yeah. professional purposes. Because you still fear the ushers. That's why. I, I, I do. I don't want blowback on this. That's your I have, opinion. I have nothing me. to lose. I will fight any of y'all in the parking lot. <laughs> Every single one of y'all deserve it. I'm not Fasci- laughing. Fascism starts with ushers. I'm not laughing. Um, it is not funny. 
So uh, the the last the, the Nurburgring. Two, okay, that's oh, you have two more. Okay, let's go. I do. I have two more. The Mount Panorama Circuit in Bathurst, uh, in Australia, is fantastic. Hilly, wildly narrow. Great perspective uh, in terms of like the actual scenery. It's it's really really cool looking. Um, it has a gigantic drop in terms of its lowest and highest points. A five hundred and seventy one foot difference Dang. between its highest and its lowest points. Uh, Australia races there. I believe it has a category three rating from F one. It needs obviously to class up to a category one for that. But like again, I implore you. Make it work. Melbourne's fine. It's a great time. Melbourne's a great city. Why don't you run something weird? Why don't you run Mount Panorama? Last one. Um, I would love to see him run Sacramento Valley's own Thunder Hill Raceway Park. And that is not just because it has a skid pad where we could test out to see how well these cars drift. But Jessica, it does have a skid pad. So we could see how well these things work. Um, It's a classic like car commercial track with a lot of like tawny California hills and a lot of elevation changes. You'll notice I have a theme here. I just want to see these things handle the up and down. Yeah, you like the up and down. So that's, Mm -hmm. I think that's the main criteria for you. Um, I like those ideas. I think we should go with one of them. I think we should replace um, Monaco with the Nurburgring. No, don't do that. Not Monaco, sorry. Okay. don't replace Uh, Monaco. Let's Let's replace like people off the lease. France. France. No France. one, no, Paul no one likes yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, no one likes Paul Ricard. Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. Done. Done. A uh, question from Hector Rodriguez. Which top team should be calling Alex Albin for next season? I I want people to say Red Bull for the irony, but I don't know realistically which I, I don't think it will be Red Bull. Which team could it be? I guess is the better question. Let's see. This is tricky. This is very, very tricky. I don't see Mercedes or I don't see Mercedes or Ferrari making a change at all. Yeah, I think both. So like the thing is, yeah, Formula One contracts are things. They can be broken, as we have seen before. And Charles Leclerc Mm -hmm. may want out of his, but I don't see them replacing him with Alex Albon. If they did, though, I think that would go better than everyone's initial reaction. I don't, I'm not saying like, oh, titles. Now we're seeing titles. This is what this is what Ferrari needs. I think everybody would be slightly appalled at first, and then <laughs> I think people would come around to it. I think they would go, no, actually, it's kind of like if I said, if you replaced it, to me, he's like Esteban Ocon, and that if I say, well, how about Esteban Ocon? People go, no, no, no. Eh, you know, Maybe it's really like the kombucha well, girl actually. meme. Yeah. Yeah, like. Eh, I don't know. You can sell yourself on it is what mm-hmm. I'm saying. Not an easy buy, but one I think you can talk yourself into. Yeah. Well, I hope he ends up somewhere with a very fast car. I, I didn't read this earlier while we were declaring him best lad, but I did see a quote that he said, two weeks ago, we were at the factory and I was with James and I, that's James Voles, formerly of Mercedes. And I didn't want to call it a crisis mode, but we were so low on parts. We actually fast forwarded the upgrade because there were no, there was no point in building the old car again. So Williams at a crisis point, he, he didn't want to call it a crisis, crisis mode, but like in saying you don't want to call it that you are essentially calling it that. Uh, so they upgraded mm-hmm. his car. They weren't ready for it necessarily because they didn't have it for Logan Sargent's car this weekend, which is, he ended up retiring, but they were basically driving different yeah. cars uh and and one was much better than the other i think inherently one's a better driver but credit to alex albon i mean he's obviously their, their number one guy and he showed why it's a question to it's a question can williams put two good cars out there right now and 
the answer if i'm inferring from albon's comments is no yeah no yeah yeah that's tough um i would i would like to let's see answer do i want to answer the obvious one i will from graham shabam who on the grid team principles enjoys montreal's famous nightlife the most the answer is gunther steiner what is, Mon- what is Montreal's famous nightlife? I'm afraid Montreal's to ask. famous nightlife is not that different from uh, Atlanta's famous nightlife. Oh, interesting. Yes. Hmm. So uh, the answer is Gunther Steiner. That is the answer. That's always the answer. Next. Next. <laughs> no further elaboration. Oh, man. All right. Let's see. Did anyone get a bigger shine in F1 coverage this weekend than Antonio Giovinazzi? I mean... <laughs> yeah, we we gave a lot of a lot of airtime to him last week. I, yeah, I don't think so. I I think he may end up in the in the second seat in the uh the Williams when Albon leaves perhaps. Um by the way, going back to the Albon question, <laughs> two words. <clears throat> Aston Martin. Oh man. I I not not the not the way you think either. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so that raises another point, which we haven't discussed yet, which is that Lawrence Stroll said that by the end of the season, Lance Stroll will be up there with Fernando Alonso, like neck and neck with him. And Mm -hmm. I just find that too. It has already been called out as as kind of an absurd comment. And look, it was Father's Day this past weekend in America. I don't know if Canada has a different Father's Day because I know they have a different Mm -hmm. Thanksgiving and they do things a little different there. But this is like... That's kind of the inherent, you know, thing about when your kid races for you is like you're going to say nice things about your kid to the media and people are Mm going to be like, that's not true. And there's not really an alternative other than you say mean and honest things about your kid. And then people are like, wow, what an asshole. So Mm -hmm. he's doing the right things PR wise and people are going to know exactly what Mm -hmm. he means by them and what he can't say. And that's fine. When you are a billionaire and you buy an F1 team, you can say nice things about your kid, but everyone's still going to be like, dude, Fernando Alonso is one of the best drivers in Formula One history. He is a world champion. There is no way your son is going to ever be as good as him, especially within the same season that your son has been outcompeted every single week. And that's okay. That's fine. That's he's, fine. he's young. Maybe one day he'll be there. I don't think he will be. And that's fine. Fernando Alonso is really good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Imagine an Alonso Albon team. Just saying. I don't but, but like pretty strong. Was would that even make sense? Like, would it make sense to have I I don't know. That's a number one and a number one driver. Exactly. So, like, no, it would not, no, it wouldn't it would make a lot make of sense. sense. It wouldn't make a lot of sense. Is it funny? Yes. yes, it's yes, darkly funny. funny to me in a way that very few of these other hypothetical matchups aren't. But the the key point is here, Antonio Giovinazzi, again, I hope you're still drunk. I hope you're still cruising off that Le Mans win. I hope, uh, I hope the vibes continue for a very, very long time because um, it's about time that somebody at Ferrari won something. Uh, can Never. Let's see, from That's a Plane 08, can one of you step in to help moderate the Ricardo Arnett telecast? Hmm. Full disclosure, I was watching the the race. I did not watch the watch along, which is to say, that's a very 2023 th- thing to say, which is, I did not watch the watch along. <laughs> so I, I did you catch it? Did you catch any of this? Jeff? I catch like I, I caught two minutes of it. I have used incorrect verb tenses this entire podcast. And to that, I apologize to our listeners. I caught like two minutes of it, but mm-hmm. you like, I think it's such a difficult thing to program against David Croft and Martin Brundle calling a Formula One race. 
you Hard. like i want to listen to crafty i need to i want to listen to brundle i want to listen to ted kravitz like the two minutes that i turned away from it i was like i really miss the sky sports commentary i need to go back it's not really like you know i know they do the watch longs for like the manning cast and they've done it for like the final four with uh sue bird and diana tarazi it's not really a sport where i feel like i can look away for 10 minutes and maybe i mean this maybe for different races it, it could work if there's a you know there wasn't like that much going on in the race so i thought like i had a safe moment where i could turn away but then i was like no like i really like the, mm -hmm. the sky sports commentary so uh, that is a long answer but no the two minutes i caught i felt like i was missing some critical information from my dudes on sky so i i flipped back right away but i i don't know i don't know who watched it i didn't see any real reviews about it if you watched it and you have opinions please tweet at us i'd like to hear what people thought about it by the way one hard thing about doing one of those watch alongs is this you got to do what peyton and eli do real well which is not talk yeah sometimes they just <laughs> Sometimes you know, sometimes you just have That's to get true. out of the way. Well, and you've the you've the done to not. you've done watch along. I've done one before for for Notre Dame football. It's mm -hmm. pretty hard because you don't exactly know what your audience is when you're doing it as like a one off thing, because mm -hmm. like really diehard F one fans want to listen to the experts and the people that are actually at the circuit, like in the pit lane, mm -hmm. watching the race. Um, yeah. And people that want to be entertained, like probably want more of a show. And if you're not, you know, rehearsing, you know, and don't have the chemistry right off the bat, like that could be really hard to do. So I have, I have one more. I want to hear what you. I want to hear what you think of this. I have one mm -hmm. more, like maybe controversial opinion about why a watch along in F1 doesn't quite work as well as it does with some other sports. Mm -hmm. There's an information deficit when we're talking about what we're looking at in terms of any sport, right? Like mm -hmm. what I see and what you see is going to be different than what an expert sees because what's going on is either more complex or simpler. We're just wrong in either direction as a casual. Yeah. We don't know that. That's true. For instance, we're talking about when we're talking about, oh man, Max is just so much faster than everyone else. That's because he's a better driver. You right. go, okay, he's, yes, he's a very good driver. He's also at the wheels of this like mechanical horse that's perfectly engineered and just happened to hit absolutely perfectly this year and that is a very complex thing with yeah. football which is i think the most common american analog to that there is a serious information deficit because the even the color commentator the play-by-play -play guy has a lot to do in terms of just telling you what happened because there's 11 on 11 and there's a bunch of crazy shit happening all of the time and he's just got to get or she's got to get the bare minimum down in terms of relaying the information the color analyst has to do a very quick job of giving you a general thing and what makes a watch along good in football they can slow down mm -hmm. they can say hey here's what happened here and they can talk about it for a minute or two which is more than the you know 40 seconds or the 25 seconds that you have to discuss in between plays for football f1 f1 we have some space in the broadcast to do some of that. You'll hear Martin Brundle go long mm -hmm. on tire strategy. You'll hear them talk back and forth, which is unheard of, right? It's amazing to me that the play-by-play -play guy in F1 has time to get in commentary themselves. They're very, you know, like Crofty's very good at that. That's yeah. something that the best are good at. So I think the idea of a watch along, I'm not saying it's redundant, but you have more space to take advantage of some of that dead air that a watch along in football uh, doesn't have, right? Mm -hmm. When you're talking about being the primary voice. So if you're gonna do a watch along the other way, 
to me, putting a casual with a professional, you're not really, I don't know. You'd have to be like a super special voice. Will Arnett, by the way, knows his shit. Mm-hmm. He does. Like, yeah, he I knows, don't doubt that. He, yeah, he knows his shit when it comes to racing. But um, I, I don't know if that's that's just first time jitters. I just don't know if they necessarily are providing a, an explicitly unique product because you already get something that has so much space to explore that stuff. That is my long roundabout way. I liked it. Of saying it's yeah. kind it's kind of like if you like the other. I think the other thing is that we're watching a broadcast where you can generally only see like one or two cars at a time. Whereas when you're watching football, you see a play and you can see almost every player on the field. Usually it's kind of like if you're yeah. watching a football game and just have like a quarterback cam and then you, yeah. and then you saw the wide receiver cam and then you saw the running back cam and you had to right. piece it together. Right. <laughs> it's right. tricky. You know, it's formula one's hard. I do not, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't want to be trying to entertain someone for two hours during a formula one race because that would be a hard no. job. It's it's real difficult. You got to know that like there's going to be some dead air. So maybe that's it. Maybe like once they get their confidence, if the reports I've heard, once you get a little more confidence and letting a little dead air go by, I think you're going to be okay. I wanted to answer this question very quickly as well. Yes. Uh, Adam from Philly asks, are Gasly and Ocon bad drivers in a good car or good drivers <laughs> in a bad car? The latter. They're both really good drivers. I think Esteban Ocon's been driving his ass off for most of the year. Uh, Gasly's also an, a superb driver. They're just not in a great car. They're probably, yeah. if you if you gauge, like, if you took the simulations of where they're supposed to be and where they actually ended up, I think there are two teams that are probably outperforming their simulations. Uh, one is, one has to be Alpine. Can like I Alpine, I'm sure. also add in there and say Otmar from the pit lane during the Sky broadcast is the definition of, like, go girl, give us nothing. Like, he <laughs> just says exactly what, <laughs> like, you can already see Yep, we put on medium tires. That's, okay, thank you, <laughs> thanks. Well, back to it. It's it's my <laughs> one of my favorite ongoing bits is him just providing like no extra additional information, but his name just being on screen. Uh, so oh, oh, people are oh, talking Omar about giving us team. the giving us the full pop of it. I love yes. Time they go, it is like a Nick Saban sideline uh, interview when he's in a bad mood. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was second down, and then it was third down. Right. Yeah, like that's yeah. <laughs> Then we put the tires on. I love it. Well, anyways, I think that we're done for today. We'll be back after the next race. And we're excited. Austria. We're Austria. Going we have a week. Back to a Europe. A week off. A week off. Yes. And then, and then Austria and then Silverstone. Yeah, I'm excited for Silverstone. Me Silverstone's too. like, to me, Always that a is. Fun one. When is when is the peak of summer? Uh, it's when Silverstone's happening and you get a bunch of sunburned Brits. Uh, probably drunk off of their 38th beer each mm-hmm. celebrating sunburnt off of a 65 degree and sunny afternoon you wouldn't survive an english summer <laughs> jessica smetana not in these yeah. brutal 78 degree temperatures Please. uh i live in yeah. miami th- get out of here by the way if you're if you're tired of if you're tired of red bull dominance uh the austria grand prix grand prix where is it happening that's right at the red bull ring yep. enjoy exciting enjoy. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. 
But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.